Father, I'm so grateful. Uh, you, you know, for me and, and many others, it's been a, a pretty crazy busy week. And I came in here this morning uh, with, a, with a grateful heart and excited. But one of those mornings where I'm just like, man, I don't know if I'm feeling this. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And ready, ready to do the thing that I know I never should, which is just kind of put on the cruise control and coast. And then yet somehow you show up in our midst and you change everything. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you do. I'm grateful for these people. Lord, that they would care enough to some of us drag out of bed today and get here anyway. And some come with hopeful expectation and some come because this is the, the point of refuge they find in their week. Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for them, and I'm grateful for you. So, Lord, continue to move among us uh, in these next few minutes that we have together. Let uh, my words not be my words, but instead yours, Lord. Speak to us out of your scripture and, and into the circumstances of our lives. Lord, we come with so many different and various needs and, and hopes and concerns and desires, and, and yet somehow you, the Lord of Lords, are able to meet us in each one if, if we'll listen, if we'll follow. So Lord, let that be the, the will of our hearts this morning is to listen, to hear you, to follow. Thank you for every good thing in your great love and mercy and compassion and correction towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, we are going to ask our kids that would like to go to Generation Worship. We're going to meet Miss Karen and Mr. Tyler, Pastor Tyler, over here. And they're going to start working on music. This works us towards our Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Uh, I think I might. Uh, I'm feeling kind of comfy with this setup right now, so I don't want to change. Uh, Easter Sunday, uh, two services, by the way, Easter Sunday. Be, uh, be inviting people, be welcoming them. 9.30 and 11 o'clock will be the service times. Um, uh, the same service, both times. Uh, and it will include our children that are part of Generation Worship will join us here for the morning worship as part of the worship team. And there will be as well uh, children's ministry that day. A lot of churches will uh, suspend their children's ministry for Easter Sunday. And I get it because everybody wants to be in the main auditorium. But it's a Sunday where a lot of folks will visit, and we feel like it's important to show them who we are on, on a regular Sunday and, and what we have to offer and with that, uh, I think Carrie may still be looking for some help with those uh, children's ministries that Sunday. So if you could help with that, I would really encourage you to do that. 
and uh, give her a hand with that. You can always be in one service and then serve our children and those families in the other service. Uh, if you are not currently part of that children's ministry team and you're interested, you can also see Carrie. Um, and that just involves kind of having a conversation to see how you might like to serve. And then uh, we have a policy here uh, that we've had for a very long time that anybody who works directly with our children or students uh, goes through a background check and that kind of stuff. And so if you think that you could accomplish both of those things, uh, we would love to have you as part of our team, all right? So we're still in this series. Actually, it's taking us all the way to Easter Sunday. Of the seven I am statements of Jesus. Uh, and uh, I mentioned the last time that I was uh, here to speak. There are more than seven. I mean, you could find more than seven statements where Jesus says, I am, and then something comes after that. Uh, these are seven that, that we've picked out of the many, uh, particularly in the book of John. And uh, they're important to us, and I think they're important to, to how we understand uh, God and his mission in our lives, what he calls us to. And particularly, we understand more who Jesus is, because these are, are the direct words of Christ himself about who he is. It's not anyone else's commentary. Uh, it's even as we look at the rest of Scripture, which we believe to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed through the hands of those who wrote them. And uh, if, you, uh, if you have questions about, in fact, how can I know that the Bible is true, or how can I trust that the Bible I have today is the same thing that was back then, uh, part of what we have back there on the Connect Center, if you haven't been able to take advantage of that, or if you're a guest with us, um, the book that God questions addresses some of that with some of the historical context. And then I think we still have some of the bookmarks that John uh, Lane uh, provided for us uh, some time ago that has just all these details. If you've never looked at it, you'll be fascinated, I think. You'll be amazed. You'll be encouraged by the ways in which we can trust that the Bible we're looking at today has really been preserved supernaturally by the power of God so that we can trust what it says to us today based on what it said when it was written uh, by those folks who wrote it all that time ago. It's, it's pretty astounding. And in fact, I think um, on the, the, the bookmark, one of the things that it mentions, I think, is that there is literally no other collection of writings or manuscripts on the planet that has more proof texts and ancient manuscripts that are in agreement with what we have today. Nothing else on the planet even comes close, and that includes things like Shakespeare, which you would think, uh, and, and I, I mean, we're talking like we're universes away and the amount of material that we have that tells us that the Bible has been preserved versus some of those things that we might think are more modern and we would have all kinds of copies of those things from ancient times and we just don't. So uh, if you're interested in that, grab that resource, the God questions back there and, and take a look at it and uh, it might lead you to some further research. So with that, our statement today comes from John chapter 8. All right, this isn't going to work for me because I got to move. You know me, I can't stand still. Let go. John chapter 8, verse 12. If you want to turn with me there, I'll, I'll ask you to do that. And uh, 
you know, I am, I'm a technological kind of guy. I, I worked in the computer industry for a couple of decades. Um, I'm not quite a digital native like the kids are that are born today who don't know what it's like to live in a world without a computer or a phone. Um, but pretty close. Uh, and even so, I've really tried to discipline myself of late to get back to my, my bound Bible with pages where I can make notes and uh, highlight things. And I can do that on all my devices as well. I just don't seem to like it as much. Uh, and so that's why you uh, hear for the last several times that I've spoken, you've seen me bring my Bible and I'm, I'm looking at it. And I just encourage you to do the same. There's something different about it. Um, but you do you and I'll do me and we'll be good. I'm just saying, you might want to try it out. So if you want to turn with me, either electronically or in your Bible, and the words will be here on the screen behind me as well, John chapter 8, verse 12, we find this statement immediately following Jesus' encounter with what is called in most Bibles, you'll see this heading, the woman caught in adultery. And it's a story of what looks like, if you, if you look at it pretty objectively, it looks like a setup uh, that uh, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, are trying once again to trap Jesus because of what they think the law says and how the law should be uh, uh, put out there towards people and their behavior, and that Jesus is kind of turning some of those things on their ear, especially uh, just a few chapters before this, um, when we look at uh, like the Sermon on the Mount and things like that, uh, Jesus really turns a lot of things on their head uh, that people thought in religious life. And so this event happens where this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery is dragged before Jesus, and their interpretation of the law is that she should be stoned to death. And they ask Jesus, what should we do? And it's a beautiful story where Jesus uh, does what he does on a number of occasions. He doesn't answer their question. In fact, he, he ignores their question. And really what he does is he sends the conversation in a completely different direction. Instead of answering their question directly and, and debating with them about the merits of the law in this circumstance, instead Jesus says nothing. He bends down towards the ground and he begins, it says in the scripture, to write in the, in the sand with his finger. Now, we don't know what he wrote. Um, some scholars think that uh, he perhaps began to write the Ten Commandments. Because we know from other conversations that we see with Jesus that Jesus says, and I don't know, my personal life uh, bears it out to be true. I suspect your personal life bears it out to be true that if we work through all 10 of the 10 commandments, uh, we've all uh, messed at least one of those up. And some of us could make a longer list than that. So some think that maybe he began to write the 10 commandments in the sand because they would recognize that, oh, you know, I'm guilty too. Some think that maybe he began to write uh, actually some of their, their personal sins there because he's God and he knows, right? But whatever the case, he writes in the sand there and they're all standing around with their stones ready to, to kill this woman in the name of the law and in their own self-righteousness. And, and then Jesus says, uh, let, let whoever is without sin cast that first stone. And I love the visual and, and 
kind of in my, my head as I draw this picture and I, and I hear it and I see it kind of in cinematic form as that happens that these, these angry, self-righteous people standing around with these giant stones in their hands ready to, to mete out what they think is justice. And Jesus says those words, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And just one by one hearing those stones land in the dust. And still, we get the idea, if we read this, that Jesus still isn't paying any attention to them. He doesn't really notice what they're doing. I'm sure he notices, but he's not giving them any attention because what happens then is it says that then uh, Jesus and the woman looked up and he says, uh, so who is here to condemn you? And she looks around and everybody's gone. And, and she says, there's, there's nobody. And he says, well, I don't condemn you either. Now, uh, go from here and don't sin anymore. Get away from what you're doing. Get away from what's hurting you and breaking you and ruining you. And this is the message of the gospel. Our theme today is God loves you just as you are. And he does. That song we sang, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, I Come to you, Jesus. And he does. He loves you just as you are and where you are. But uh, I love this saying that a, a girl used to use on uh, uh, this tour. Karen and I were on a musical tour across the United States in the early 90s with a, a group called Continental Singers. And uh, people would give a, a testimony every night. And uh, this girl, Shelly, had a beautiful testimony that she gave about God's redemption and rescue in her life. And she would say that. She said the thing that, that turned her around, the thing that caught her attention because she was mired in sin and she was rebelling against God and she was living her own life and uh, really just turning her back on everything that God had offered her. She said she was at a, a meeting one night and someone had preached and the, and the person said, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And she said, I knew right then that I had to come back to Christ, that I had to, to, to be devoted to him, to become a follower. Because he loved me right where I was, but he loved me so much that he wanted what was better for me and what was greater for me, what was healthy for me, what was right for me. And that's the message of the gospel. And Jesus says it right here in verse 12, John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, right after all this happens, he says, go from me and sin no more. He says, and again, Jesus spoke to them, talking to his disciples now. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there's the statement, the I am statement. I am the light of of the world. Now, uh, Jason, I'm sure, can attest to this as some of the other folks who speak for us once in a while. You start doing research for your messages, and um, sometimes they lead down some rabbit holes, and, and you end up in places you didn't expect to be, and then you're trying to, trying to refocus. But uh, I did want to share with you as I was studying for this, I did find some dad jokes about light, and there were two that I felt like I really needed to share with you. Did you hear about the idiot who sat up all night wondering where the sun had gone? The very next morning, it dawned on him. That's quality dad joke. You guys put these in your pocket. Use them later because the kids aren't in here. 
And this one's, this one's going to come into play later. You'll see why. How did Noah see in the dark? Floodlights. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Um, light is an interesting, interesting thing. It's the first thing that God created. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And we come to understand light. You know, we talk about Noah with the floodlights, right? You know, we know what floodlights are. We got some out here in the parking lot that come on at night. You probably got some at home like we do in our driveway that keep things lit up. And, and they're bright. They, 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 the light tries to go everywhere. And we come to understand our, our first understanding of light is that it reveals things more clearly to us. Things that are in the dark, things that are in the shadows, uh, things that may be discolored by other uh, lights that we see, you know, we've got these lights up here. If we were to, to pull these down and turn only the red lights on, there would be things up here that would be difficult to see underneath just that one spectrum of light. But if we bring those, those bright white lights up, then we can begin to reveal everything. And if we drive it up far enough, these shadows will disappear. And we can see everything. And we understand that in a physical sense, that this is how light works. Uh, if you've ever been... Uh, anywhere that there was truly the complete absence of light. Anybody? I mean complete. Like uh, Karen and I traveled to Rome uh, many years ago, and we went to the catacombs underneath the city. And uh, we had a guide that, that took us through because these catacombs are such a maze that if you went down there by yourself, you could get lost and die down there because you'd never find your way out. And so we went down, and we went down, and we went down, and we're passing all of these... Uh, uh, graves that have been carved into the rock walls and there are still people lying there and then you go by places where uh, huge shrines and uh, temples for uh, both Christian and pagan worship have been set up and some of them are, are just decorated with the bones of those who've passed and the saints that have been remembered. And we get down in there and it's nice and cool and, and everybody's got their headlamps on and the, the guide has her flashlight, her torch. And then we would get to this one place, and they'd say, now, we're going to stop here, and everyone just turn off every source of light. And so we'd all click off our headlamps, and she would turn off hers. And it was just, you know, you understood what they meant when they say it's bone quiet, because there's nothing in there but the bones. And try as you might, you, and you find yourself trying to expand your eyes as wide as they'll go to try and collect some tiny speck of light. You know, you could, you could practically touch your eyeball trying to see your finger, and you can't. It is absolutely pitch black. And yet we understand in a physical sense that if we just bring in one tiny source of light, things can begin to be revealed. But when Jesus says this, I am the light of the world, he's talking to us in a spiritual sense. Because you see, the, the world, the, the domain that is 
really the domain of the enemy of God and the domain of sin is filled with darkness. In fact, the Bible tells us there are many who are wandering in darkness. And it's not just the shadows, it's the darkness just like being down in those catacombs in their spiritual life. It's so dark and black and empty, they can't see their own condition, their own need for the grace of God right before them. And so Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I have come to illuminate that spiritual darkness. He goes on to say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When I think back to my friend Shelly, what she was trying to express about how God loved her just as she was, but loved her too much to leave her that way, was that God's love extended into the darkness in which she was living. God's love extended into the darkness of her life and her spiritual self, but God loved her so much that even though his love reached in there, what he was calling her to was to step out of the darkness into the light. And we ask the question, maybe, how do we step into light? He says it right here. He says, if you'll follow me, you won't walk in darkness because I'm the light. And if you follow me, everywhere you go will be illuminated. If you'll follow Jesus, every place that you go in your life, every decision that you need to make in your life, every goal that you set, every trouble that you face, every desire that you have, can be illuminated by the person of Jesus Christ. The problem with spiritual darkness and the problem with, 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 with it being kind of like that catacomb that I talked about where you're in, in true darkness is when we're in true spiritual darkness, many of us don't even know that we've tripped and we've fallen and we're in danger. That was the thing that, that I remember thinking as we stood in that catacomb was, uh, after a while, if you stood there long enough, you began to get, your equilibrium started to get messed up because you had no point of reference. Pilots wrestle with this when they're on instrument flying rules and they're in particular kinds of weather uh, where they can't see, there's no horizon to see, there's no landmark to see, and they can't tell visually if they're right side up or upside down. And so they'll be trained, they'll learn to fly by the instruments on the panel of their cockpit because it has equipment uh, communicating with the earth and things that will uh, signify to them where that horizon line is and, and we pray that all of that equipment works correctly, right? I know the pilots back there do because when those don't work correctly and there's no visual reference, good luck. And in our spiritual life, if we're walking in darkness, 
it doesn't take too long before we don't even know where the horizon line is. If we plunged this place into pitch blackness and I stepped out here to the front of this, I don't know how far to walk before I fall off the edge. And so that's the trouble with spiritual darkness. Now, Jesus says this, I'm the light of the world, and if anybody follows me, uh, they will, they'll never be in darkness. They'll walk in the light. And then the, the religious leaders uh, still there have, have, all right, you know, what you're saying can't be true because you're testifying about yourself. And they're, they're going back to the law again because the law says that for something to be taken as a true confession or a true accusation has to be at least two people who agree that that they've seen or heard whatever it is they're talking about. And here's Jesus saying it about himself. And they're saying, that's not even true. That doesn't, that doesn't qualify under the law. And Jesus says this in verse 17. He says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now, this is another one of those statements that we approached in the last couple of weeks, where again, uh, we got to unpack what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I am God. The language is a little clunky for our modern understanding. But he's saying, look, I understand your laws. I wrote them. Right? I, I, I wrote the Ten Commandments, and I wrote the two that came before that, that the Ten Commandments sprung out of. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We take the Ten Commandments. We can pretty much divide them right down the middle. There's five that apply to our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God. There's five that apply to our relationship with one another. Don't cheat each other. Don't kill each other. And then after that, there were some things, again, that God continued to speak to the people of Israel to be uh, their laws so that they would be a people set apart from everybody else on the, on the planet, identified as his people. And he says, I know what you're talking about, but understand, I am the one who bears witness about myself. It's another way of him saying what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when Jesus said, I am the great I am. And then they still didn't understand. In verse 19, they said to him, uh, where's your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And it's the same language. Now, first, he's, he's, he's putting out a pretty hard accusation there that he does many times with religious leaders and religious people in the scriptures. He says, you guys are just playing at this game. You don't even know. You, don't, you say that you follow God, but you don't even know who he is. Because if you knew who he was, you'd know who I am. Because I'm that guy. I'm the guy. And if you knew him, you'd know me. And if you knew me, you'd know him. Because it's all ooh, circular. And they understood exactly what he was saying. The problem of darkness. There might be some who still think that that's not really their problem. But Jesus addresses this uh, a little earlier. If you want to go with me over to John chapter 3, we're going to go right to verse 19, uh, Jason. Jason. 
This is right after what I think is, um, and not that it matters what I think, I'm just telling you what I think, um, the greatest verse in the Bible, John 3.16, uh, the entire gospel is contained in that one verse. Uh, and then Jesus says a few other things, and one of the things he says after John 3.16, verse 19, he says, uh, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Who's the light? Jesus, right? He, he told us over in verse 8. Um, we're going to look at another passage here that, that underscores that again. But he says, the light has come into the world. So here's the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, it doesn't take too much living in this life to know that that statement is true. That there are a lot of people and there are a lot of us, hopefully a lot of us, who at one time loved the darkness more than we loved the light. And we see it in evil deeds, evil thoughts, evil words to one another. This is why scripture tells us in another place that if we're followers of Christ, we can't have blessing and cursing coming out of the same fountain, which is our face, our mouth. Blessing and cursing can't come out of the same. And we're not talking about swearing. We're talking about what is blessing. Blessing is when I'm speaking life into your life, and cursing is when I'm cutting you down and tearing you down. In fact, back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that kind of talk is just like murder. What? Yeah, he says, you've heard, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. He says, I'll tell you what. If you call your brother terrible names and tear him down, you might as well kill him because you're doing the same thing. You're killing him in his spirit. And so we've been like that, right? Amen? I, look, God saved me from that. He rescued me from that. I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be that person. But he says the light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than they loved the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. All right, I want to get quickly to the end of this. How do we come to the light? How do we follow Jesus? We have to become people who are willing to let the light of the world, Jesus himself, invade our hearts, our spiritual places, and expose all of the darkness to his light. See, that's what it says, that people who hated the light and loved the darkness and did evil, they continued to do that because they were afraid of the darkness being exposed. And so that's where it comes back to that God loves me just as I am, but he loves me too much to leave me that way. He loves you in the darkness in which you are. Think about your friends and your family that are out there, those who don't know Christ, your neighbors, the people at the store that you've interacted with who don't know Jesus Christ. He loves them just exactly right where they are, but what he desires to do is invade their life with his light and that's a dangerous proposition for us. I mean, I don't want that. Do you want that to be exposed? Well, if you come to the place that you're tired of stumbling around in the dark long enough, 
and falling off of things because you couldn't see and tripping over things because you couldn't see and being injured because you fell and smacked your spiritual face on the floor. You can get to a place where you go, you know what? Uh, I think it's time to turn some light on in here. And that light is Jesus. We're working our way backwards through John, so I'm going to flip over to John chapter 1. This theme of light runs throughout the book of John, and it's right here in the beginning. One of my favorite passages. I just love the poetry of this, of this verse. John chapter 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if, if you've not heard this before, if you've traveled down just a little bit, I think it's to 14 or 15, uh, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, capital W, the Word here is Jesus Christ. And it says, and the Word became flesh. Now, notice what it says. In the beginning was the Word. We understand that's Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word, what? Was God. There is no mistake that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is, in fact, Almighty God. He was, in the beginning, with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not, uh, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's Jesus. Billy Graham said, uh, Earth's troubles fade in the light of heaven's hope. And not necessarily talking about, you know, heaven someday, but in the light of him who resides in heaven, the troubles of life begin to fade. So I'm going to ask Winston back there at the light board to help me out. Uh, we've done this demonstration before, but this is a box full of light. And we can't get it quite 100% dark in here, but it's dark. And you see the nature of light. It's in there. It's in that box, and it wants to get out. <laughs> you see, you know, I can push down on this as hard as I want, and I can't, I can't seal out all of that light. And the thing that sometimes we deceive ourselves about is that in this world, we're walking in darkness, and we think, man, the darkness is just too great. There's so much darkness in my life. I've done so much wrong. I've done so much bad. I've really loved evil pretty well. There's no way that God's light can really overcome that. But the fact of the matter is, if we think in spiritual terms in relationship to what we see in physical terms, it don't take a whole lot of light to start driving out the dark. In fact, you know, you go out on the, you go out on the ocean in the pitch black, somebody can light a candle miles and miles and miles away. And you can pick that thing out. Light is that powerful that it can travel that distance. Think about the stars in the heaven. Science tells us millions 
tens of millions, hundreds of millions of light years away. You know what a light year is, right? It's the distance that a beam of light, a photon of light will travel in the course of a year, 186,000 miles per second. And yet we stand here and we look in the heavens and we see those pinpoints of light all that distance away. Jesus said in that first verse, if anyone will follow me, they will have the light of life and will not walk in darkness. So do you want to get rid of the darkness in your life? Do you want to escape the darkness in your life? You have to follow Jesus because he's the light. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Bring those lights back up for us, Winston, would you? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you and may he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, we are thankful that you welcome us to follow you. Lord, I pray that your spirit will be calling to those in this place today to do exactly that. And Lord, to do so, we have to turn from our own darkness and be willing to allow you, your presence, your spirit into our spiritual lives to expose even the darkest of places. Lord, I pray that we'll ask you to do that. Come into our heart. Invade our space. Expose the dark corners. And Lord, we'll follow you. Do the, the good works that you have for us. Lord, allow you to begin speaking into our lives about what really does need to change because ultimately that is what salvation is about. It's transformation that you love us. And you love us so much that you can't leave us in the state we're in right now. So Lord, we... we uh, I pray, I hope others will join me. I welcome that transformation. Change me. Continue to transform me into who you intend for me to be. And Lord, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.